just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born Good old boys I'm Mark Bog Beef Oh man, we, we, we gave you the appetizer last time about Julius Caesar But now we're really digging into the meat of it we want to talk about something near and dear to his heart. What what makes him the greatest man in Western history? This is the fire that he's forged in. It's very difficult to pick out where to start the story of Julius Caesar. Dan Carlin sort of lost his mind <laughs> trying to pick a place. Can't go back to the Gracchi. We're not. No. We're going to start with Marius, with Gaius Marius. And he was a he was one of the figures in the long line of like po- of po- they call them populares. They were essentially the populist faction in the Roman political system. But that didn't necessarily mean that like they weren't communists or literally men of the people, right? Right. These are people. These are nobles who took up the popular interest to advance their themselves and. In, in their view, make Rome better. Yeah. Essentially, I think to boil it down as much as you could, essentially the, the Optimates, they enjoyed the spoils of empire and, and Rome getting bigger, but they didn't really need it at all. They could have just sat on their hands and, and they would uh, their natural preference would just dominate whatever is there. Own everything. Mm-hmm. Make all their money through rent-seeking stuff. Yeah. Get juicy jobs. And whereas the Popularis faction, this is more of the faction backing, sort of opening up more, more uh, well, not necessarily citizenship at, at various times, but um, <laughs> more military, more spreading sort of the wealth around, this kind of thing. Object, uh, looking at objective history, the Popularis are more correct than the Optimates. Because the Optimates wanted to do the, what is the dream, and it's impossible. No one in history has ever been able to do it, which is you can have an empire, but you can, if Virginia was uh, conquered the rest the United States and I and I wanted this like okay now we control the continent of the United States but I want still Virginia to run everything I want all the people you know all my friends to be in control I want to be in control all these people here are just you know they're NPCs for for our benefit and you can't do that empires don't work that way yeah the cut of the chase slaves won't go conquer territory for you yeah and so Gaius Marius was not the first popular but he was one of the most effective because he actually did attain political power and he started out as you pointed out uh, before. He started. He's a, he was a new man. He was not a noble. He was born from uh, from like either a, some say equestrian, but uh, Plutarch also had a theory that about his origins, right? Yeah, Plut- uh, uh, Plutarch <laughs> uh, repeated a rumor that he was born a peasant, <laughs> digging ditches. So how did Marius? How did Marius come onto the scene? His family is sort of in one of these outskirts cities that gets uh, brought in. They get Roman citizenship. They get sort of voting rights as he's uh, like right before he's born, and so he's just barely born into the Roman Empire. His parents they undoubtedly had money because they sponsored him to become a politician, enter the game of Roman society. So we first meet Marius. He's this young noble. His family certainly had some kind of money because they were able to sponsor. Monster, joining the game of of ambitious nobles in Rome, which is basically general lawyer, politician, and not something but, a ditch digger like Plutarch said was going to get into. Yeah, but we first meet him because he's he's serving under uh, Scipio the Younger, basically, and this is the Scipio family of the 
of the Punic Wars, which have a great reputation. And he did a stellar job with him. And at one point, people said, well, who's going to come after you, Scipio? And Scipio walked over to, to young Marius and he put his arm around him and he said, maybe this guy. You know, Mark Anthony is a guy who's around. He's doing stuff, but he's not fall into the annals of history until a really striking moment in a battle. And the same thing with Marius. Marius is around. He's playing the game of trying to be a Roman noble. And he enters the annals of history once there's this guy, Jugurtha. He's a barbarian king. Rome's having a very difficult time with him. And Sulla kills him. It's like being born in a log cabin if you were an early American president. It's a good move to kill a barbarian king if you want to become powerful later. This was a real big deal. Like, uh, you know, he, even he's a young guy. They he, they built statues of him uh, because of this. Uh, this this was this is this is a big get for them. He said something earlier. I'll put a pen in. But he, you know, they about citizenship, and he was born in Italy. But at this time, being Italian wasn't the same thing as being Roman. Even though a lot of Italy had been effectively controlled by Rome for a long time, so. He he was he was like a, from from the provinces, which was a big which was a big deal. He made his bones in, he made his bones in the military. Uh, he's most famous for his reform his military reforms. He cha- he helps change the way the Roman military worked, and there's t- there's t- there's two aspects to that. Uh, you can talk about that the the autistic aspect, but the more uh, the broader aspect is that. He finds a way to change the Roman military to something that can defend and conquer more territory as an empire versus the original model of the Roman army, which was essentially, you know, aristocratic officers who you can compel them to defend their lands and they can take and they can take nearby lands, but you can't project force that way. An empire needs an imperial military, and Marius brings in the common people into the army in a way that they hadn't been before. Yeah. You know, you have this ordinary model that you have everywhere else where there's a bunch of rich people, they own everything. You call the the plebs to defend against your regional rivals, your city-state. And Rome is, is growing. It's in this miasma period as it's becoming this different thing. And Sulla, I'm sorry, Marius really pushed it forward, codified different things. He especially had a lot of work to do with, with the pilum, which is the, the javelin that they throw. This, you know, the, the armor, the standard issue armor and the standard issue training and essentially what he's doing you know he's creating a system to where you know you give me a town of plebs town of ordinary people give me the 16 year olds i'm going to put them through this training i'm going to turn them into these people that can conquer the world yeah rome's all already kind of past the hellenic model of armies and, and it's, that's why rome's been so successful but he really pushes it he takes it to the next level and he not only is he great administrating and changing tactics, whatever. He saves Rome from uh, from German barbarians that are coming into Gaul and coming th- past the Alps in, like, to threaten Rome itself. Uh, and this is no small feat. It was a, a genuine threat to the Roman Republic, and he was recognized as being the person who who, who did it. That's a that's a great story. To just give a, a little 30-second snippet of it. So, uh, uh, you know, they're fighting these these Nordic, uh, you know, these Skyrim <laughs> barbarian people. Uh, well, they're, they're on their way there. Everyone knows they're coming to, and they're slow. You know, they're not just an 
an army. You know, they move with every with the the kids and the women and everything. You know, they're they're like a foot taller than them, and they're big and fucking scary people. And it's the winter time, and nobody wants to fight them. And his he had a great idea. His idea was that uh, we'll build uh, we'll build a fort on the way that uh, on their path to Rome. All and he told his men, all I want you to do is, is I want you to, want you to watch them, watch them train. And eventually you will humanize them because they, they were just like. They're moon people to them. They see yeah. nothing like them. They were incredibly dangerous and brutal people to them. Yeah. And they, you know, each one of them had like 100 pounds on, on, on a little Italian guy. These are <laughs> big fucking Nords. And, uh, and he says, you know, if you watch them, we, we have a method. You know, you have your shield, you have your peeling, and we can take these guys. And it worked. Yeah, so he he successfully defended the Republic. He became, up until that time, the greatest war hero of the Roman Republic. He was consul how many times? Seven times. No one else had done that. Consul's like president. Incredible, incredibly formidable figure, but... His his changes to the to the army came at a cost, and that and that was by making the army more professional. I'm speaking broadly here. Making the army more professional, more open, meant that you needed to change the incentives. It wasn't landowners fighting to defend and and levies fighting to defend territory. Uh, you had to offer the, these new imperial soldiers something something tangible and something worthwhile to to, to fight for. And he figured out well. We can just give them some of the stuff that we steal from Gaul or Germany or whatever. We'll just cut them in. We'll give them a taste. Yeah. Uh, Romania today. Where does the name come from? Uh, this was uh, this was land that was that was cut to uh, Roman uh, veterans. Yeah, you know, we're taking we're taking all this land, so uh, you know we can just subtract it from what we're from the profits and. Uh, and I can, you know, from the perspective of this general guy. It's win-win. Yeah. Like, I, I can't go win these battles unless you give these people stuff. And this sort of forces him in this, this popularious position. But this comes with his own problem was that traditionally in Rome, when they would take public, they would take land to be publicly held, the optimates, the rich nobles would use that land for themselves. They would essentially, you take free free real estate as the meme goes, and make money off of it. So Marius's idea... They would work, he, the, work the land with slaves rather than this uh, rather right. than Roman veterans getting to be little kulaks. <laughs> this, is, this is a continuing... It, philosophically, the difference between the optimates and populares, uh, there's, there's, there's like a lot of... It, it's, it's funny that it's, it's more complicated than people realize. It's not just like, well, one person is for the people, one person is for the rich. You know, you're talking about slave versus free labor... You're talking about land reforms, uh, you know, how society should be organized. And Marius's policies are a threat to his political enemies. He's, he's rewarding his friends and punishing his enemies. And this brings him into conflict with the nobles pretty quickly. Marius, Marius is a war hero, but the problem with being a war hero is that there's always a younger, hotter model that comes along, and that is uh, Sulla. Yes, so and okay and so you're Sulla, you know you uh, you're very impressive. You, you're clearly uh, you know uh, Sulla was very extremely successful uh, general. And if if you want to run for president and you and the incumbent is a Democrat, well, you need to be Republican. And so the Senate takes up Sulla to be their champion. They're they're fighting wars in the east. 
at this time because they're always fighting. That's where all the money is. And Solo's star is on the rise, and Marius is kind of getting old. And uh, and you get the sense from the historical record, which whether it's true or not, because it's essentially a gossip column written by people hundreds of years after the fact. But you get the idea that Marius is a little bit, a little bit jealous of Sulla being the uh, the new the new hot one. And they have they have multiple little conflicts, you know, very uh, ancient world. Oh, you've insulted my honor thing. But what really comes to a head between these two men is that Sulla's given an army to go off into the east and fight, and his political rivals in Rome essentially get the army taken, uh, ordered him to, that the army be taken away from him and given to Marius. And this is a bigger problem than it sounds like because we're not just talking about uh, General Patton getting sent back to headquarters and not being able to invade Germany or whatever. If you didn't have a, taken army taken away from you, you could be you could be at a risk of being killed by your political rivals. You're being stripped of tangible political power. Yes. You're talking about prescriptions? Yeah. So Sulla doesn't take this sitting down. He marches his army back to Rome, uh, something that's never been done before until uh, this point in history, by the way. Crosses the Palmarian. And what is that? That's an imaginary line around, around the inner core of Rome. That, that, uh, and these people were very careful about these kinds of rules uh, that you don't cross, but he did. Yeah, he, took, he, took, <laughs> he marched an army into the capital. And uh, violently overthrew his, his enemies, uh, and he he did what he said for prescribed some of them, which is, and it wasn't a ton of them. It was like I don't know ten, twenty people. Uh, which a prescription, and you ordered that person to, to death. You wouldn't necessarily like you know the king wouldn't capture them and cut his head off himself. You would just say, hey, this person, it's open season on him. They confiscate all their property. You essentially become a hunted, a hunted homeless person, and your family would be destitute. Uh, you have they would have to flee Roman lands. It was the wor- by far the worst punishment. It was worse than being crucified. Worse than anything that could happen to you was to to, ha- to be prescribed to be you were unpersoned by the state. And Sulla does this to some of his enemies, and it's not according to Plutarch or whoever. It wasn't very popular. They thought people thought he was going too far with it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Plutarch, so uh, we talked about before in the last episode that uh, Rome is set up as a, as a machine to produce ambitious elites. And one of the problems with prescription, so uh, killing your enemies is not something that would have blown up anyone's skirt in 58, 50 BC. Taking young nobles uh, and, and banning them from public, from uh, the game of ambition, that is... Just obviously a sin to them. You're you're sort of against the the religion of this this state, basically. Uh, that was that was too far. I mean, I say too far. Uh, You've seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sulla marches. So Sulla kills some of his enemies. Uh, Marius gets away, and he's not he's not one of the people who's killed. And so Sulla goes back to the east and finishes fighting his war, which he wins because again, Sulla's a very good general. He's, Maybe as good as, as uh, Marius when it comes to when it comes to fighting, but in the meantime, and this is the funny part because after Sulla you know, does his massacre of some of his political enemies, he does. I, I, he, he's like, yeah, I guess he wants to show that he's not totally a bad guy, so he doesn't 
force all of his all of his enemies out of the political life. So like there are two consuls and one of them is pro Marius and one of them is pro Sulla. So Sulla leaves and <laughs> while he's gone, the pro Marius consul overthrows the pro Sulla one. Marius comes back from exile with an army. And they and and now like Marius is breaking the 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 ancient tradition. He's marching an army into Rome. There's another there's another little miniature civil war, and uh, Marius's people start a purge. They start killing people, uh, killing their political enemies. So uh, so Sulla's broken the seal, and now we're in full Schmidian territory. Pure enemy friend enemy distinction. Uh, people are murdering their political opponents. Everyone is uh, fucked around, and they're finding out. <laughs> these these characters, how do they relate to Caesar? Well, Marius is married to Caesar's aunt. Marius' only son is Caesar's cousin. So after Sulla finishes his war, and Rome's kind of a, in the throes of, of like a political white people when everyone knows it, Marius has gotten old, and if you believe some of the sources, he's become senile, right? Yeah. Like, he's definitely lost a step. So he actually dies before Sulla can get back for round two of this first civil war. And uh, this one, this one, everybody kind of just embraces the madness. Sulla, Sulla is victorious. He, he crushes, literally crushes his, his opponents. Uh, the guy who's left holding the bag after Marius dies is Caesar's father-in-law, correct? It's yes. Senna, right? Yeah. yeah. Lucius Cornelius Senna. Yeah, it doesn't go well for him. Sulla takes the city over. Before Sulla can get through the gates, Marius' son, again, Caesar's cousin, just starts massacring every Sulla supporter that's still inside the city that he can get his hands on. So that gives you an idea of what, what's happening here. It's like apocalyptic, brutal civil war, and it ends with Sulla taking control, and then we have another round of purges. This one this one dwarfs both of the uh, the first two, though. Yeah, it'd be like if Joe Biden won and uh, MSNBC just started, uh, you know, lynching every Republican that, around, that lived, taking all their stuff. And this, this, and you can really emphasize that this, this is really over the top, just crushing, destroying your enemies. There's massive abuses, even if you could say that on top of that. So this would be like, um, uh, you know, let's say you're Sulla's friend. Uh, you know, your neighbor has like a, a nice pool and uh, you like the pool. And uh, Sulla, you know, he's put all these names in the list, the prescription list, the people that are going to die. And you're like, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're prescribing 2,000 people. Can you make that 2,001? <laughs> My neighbor's got a nice pool. I'd like to have that <laughs> it's pool. It's an underground pool. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, and now that's your pool, and uh, yeah, so there's just a there's this bureaucratic list, and this the bureaucratic nature of it is kind of a sort of part of how this this comes back around to bite people that participate in this. But yeah, you really emphasize this is I mean, uh, no one had used to this kind of bloodbath before, and it's the the sort of the, you know when people talk about. Um, the Holocaust. They say, well, you know, one of the things that makes it just like there, there's genocides happen all the time, but this bureaucratic nature, yeah, uh, really 
sort of doubles down on the evil. It's in cold blood. It's not. It's not a crime of passion. It's. It's. You're. You're measuring it out. You're doing it. Yes. The numbers. Yeah. So this. This is sort of wrapping up as Caesar is sort of coming out of his teenage years. Yeah. This is the world that he's. He. He become. He comes of age into. Yeah. And he's right smack in the middle of it. Like we said, his aunt is married to Marius, which becomes a big deal because Sulla is going to is going to just do everything he can to destroy the memory of of, of Marius. Yeah. So Mary was Marius was a celebrated guy and everything, but not anymore. After these these prescriptions start, you know, part of it is to erase erase Marius from like the all memory. All his statues disappear. Uh, and like anyone, uh, you know, even remotely related to this guy. Uh, so, you know, Caesar's dad is already dead. You know, if his father had been alive, his father would have probably been uh, prescribed. Caesar had some like uncles or something who were prescribed by Sulla. Yeah. And so Caesar sort of fell through the cracks because his dad was already dead. Someone brought him up to someone who was like, hey, that guy is only, you know, uh, this kid's only 16. He's related to Marius. Shouldn't we kill him? Caesar sort of gets gets the fuck out of town before that can happen. Now, that, that I know you told me you don't believe it, but I should say there's the, the story is that Sulla says Sulla wants to wants to prescribe him, and he's talked out of it. He's like, "Well, you guys are telling me not to kill this guy, but if you think Marius was bad, this guy's going to be like ten times worse." Yeah, he said. There's uh, that's that's the story. I don't believe ten. that story, but they say there's ten Mariuses in that boy. Caesar high tells it. Sulla does take his inheritance, which means that he might be a guy who has like a, a, a August name, the Julia, the Julia family, but uh, he doesn't have any money. Because Sulla took it all. So, as you said before, he was married. He Caesar was married to Senna's daughter. So, Marius is second in command. Sulla says, "We can't have this. This is a person from the Marian faction. You need to divorce her." And Caesar refuses to do it, which is a pretty bold move for somebody that young, telling the most powerful man in Rome, "No." Yeah, as usual, when Caesar makes bold moves, he doesn't just throw it out there. Like he refuses, but then he gets, he, then he leaves Rome for seven years. He liked that story because, like, oh, he he told him to give up his wife, and he said no. Like, is that romantic or is that you know, is he morally upright? Well, maybe, but also when Caesar does that, he isn't functionally inheriting the Marian faction. He's yeah. he's the last man standing. And that will become important later on because, as you said, the statues and all the public stuff about Marius was was removed. But what happened to it? What happened to that stuff? So the few scattered remains of, of the Marian family, you know, most of the statues were smashed and stuff. But the rest of the statues, uh, for uh, you know, no one knows exactly. But they were just sort of uh, privately shoved in the garages of the various family members. Of <laughs> Julia dies. When Julia dies, Caesar decides to return to Rome for the first time and to give uh, a big funeral oration, which was not, this wasn't typically done for women. No, like that wasn't just a eulogy for angel people. That was a big thing. It was like a, a royal funeral on TV or whatever. Yeah, Caesar understood something. So Caesar understood. So first off, even though Marius has been off the scene a long time, he knows that there's still a lot of strong sentiment for him. The people really, the people uh, really liked him. And by giving this, so he gives this big strong uh, funeral oration for her. The speech he brings up Marius a lot, and he has a lot of these statues that have been 
gone, he uh, they suddenly appear at, at this at this funeral. He has them out there, and the people go nuts for it. They love it. Now we will catch up with Caesar later, but the the important thing to understand is that Caesar was growing up in this environment. So all this this Schmidt stuff and kill just kill all your enemies. Your enemies are uh, no mercy. They fuck around and find out. Just kill them. Kill them. Caesar is sort of growing up in this, and he realizes how much it sucks. Caesar's a very perceptive guy. And one of the things he realizes is that there's another way. There's another way to do things. And this is where we get sort of the like uh, the main um, innovation, the political innovation of Caesar. And that's mercy. Not mercy as a, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just a kind, I'm just a kind, gentle person. Caesar was a bad motherfucker. Uh, Caesar killed people like you wouldn't believe. However, it doesn't have to be like that. There's no one one part of Caesar's life to really focus on for this, but we will focus on one later. Uh, so Caesar makes it a policy, no matter what, that if you if you surrender, you'll be treated fairly, and he he will go to whatever length to make sure everybody knows this. Everyone needs to be advertised. It's at one point in the in his war with Pompey, where you know he's fighting for his life, his top general abandons him. His top general, so his right-hand man, well, not his right-hand man was Anthony, but his top general abandons him. You know what he does? He he goes to his guys and say, uh, you know, that guy just sort of ran away on a horse. He goes to his guys and says, go get, go find all his stuff that he left, and I want you to take it to him. You might, I know what you're thinking that this is crazy or it's stupid anytime. And so in politics and stuff, when he, when he, you know, when, when he gets power, he grants them mercy, you know, say, uh, say you're sorry and work with me and, and everything will be fine. I, I think sort of a, a, a sort of a brute example of this is when he's on the run, uh, in this war with Pompey, uh, you know, different ta- And so there's, you know, he's fighting a civil war. He's, he's, we'll say he's fighting a civil war and it'd be like, you know, a town in the, on the Mason Dixon line. And they, they don't know which side to support. Well, all these people, they, they say, Hey, is that Caesar? Caesar? That's that guy. He's, he's a fair guy. I, I'd rather work with him. He's a stand up guy. He'll treat you well. Another great example is that let's say you are, for whatever reason, and for people found a lot of reasons, to end up on the other side of a battle with Julius Caesar. Okay, you can fight him. You may die. Uh, you know, he has a certain reputation of being a great general. Okay, even if you think even if there's a 60% chance that you win. Let's say you got more troops with you. You may beat this guy, Caesar. Okay, but you still could lose. If you surrender... If you say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, we give up, uh, you'll leave with your life and your stuff, even your sword. He'll let you join, join up. Yeah. Do you know how many battles that makes him not have to fight? We like the concept of, I think maybe Bateman coined it, I don't know, the strength of strength, right? Yeah. Caesar has this. This is one of the reasons why he's able to do it. He is he is a very, like a politically astute person. He's an amazing general. He he's just he's an ultimate specimen of a human being. So he can do that. He can he can dole out you know emerge because he can win. You know this strategy wouldn't work for someone like well, let's say Cicero, right? It, you know, it's really it's too hard that. to imagine. 
average Caesar fan versus average Cicero and George, right? <laughs> I, the the thing to emphasize is that you're not he's not being a sucker so uh you have to so remember if you're this guy that you just kill everybody that that, that goes against you uh, okay that's a lot of people you got to kill um if you're the caesar guy and you forgive people that f- may fight you and they give up because you don't because they don't fight you you are this is like an this like the uh, the gain is almost unlimited. You win battles without having to fight. Now, uh, if you're thinking about which side to join, most of these these thug assholes this time. If you you know if you fuck up at all, like they're gonna fucking kill you. This guy will treat you right. This is how you know Caesar did not sort of inherit this all this power. Caesar got it on his own. And one of these one of these ways that you sort of rock it up in power is with this policy you win battles without having to expend any energy and this means in in politics this means anywhere that takes a lot of energy to kill people uh, that may have went against you why not make them your friends to be clear this policy is referring to other romans like if you were if you lived in gaul you, you it he wasn't he extended this to, 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 to Gauls too. He really did. Uh, he, if you, a lot of these, um, he, and he, okay. So this, this is a good part to talk about. What are the downside? The downside is you can get betrayed. People can take advantage of this. Um, and so that that happened. So he uh, he had so he offered this to the Gauls as well. Uh, and he got betra- he got betrayed. Uh, he he almost lost lost it in the Gallic Wars because uh, when in, in the Battle of uh, of uh, the Double Wall Battle. Sorry, it's lost me this moment. Alicia, right? Uh, Alicia. Uh, you know, he, he uh, one of the things about Romans. The so Romans don't don't really do uh, cavalry very well, and. Uh, he, and he had he had he had offered this to uh, to uh, a cavalry of a force that he fought, and he made the, he, he and he made them his friends, and he brought them into his camp, and they were given uh, he he did everything he could for them because uh, they surrendered, and they agreed to be his friend. Uh, they did end up turning on him, uh, and it almost cost him everything. And that's the part where people and every time this would happen, people would say, "Well, Caesar, you can't do this. You can't just forgive people. You can't. These are Gauls or." These are these are your enemy. You can't just do this. And and they see yes, it does. People will betray you at times, but they don't see the upside. They don't see that he got as far as he did because of this policy. If we're talking about the Civil War, it happens almost immediately. As soon as he crosses the Rubicon, uh, the, the city just goes over to him immediately. Opens their gates. They like, hey, yeah, we we went on board the Caesar train. And that was kind of part, maybe part of the reason why he was able to get to Rome so quickly after he crossed the Rubicon was because, uh, contrary to what the, expect, the expectations of like his enemies, uh, people in Rome loved him. So he just was, he was able to just waltz right through with 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 relatively little to stop him. And that, that, that he, it's almost like he, being so inundated with like media, like stories, you know television shows movies books about like rule like you know the the philosopher king ruler it's almost like you're like well uh, i mean sure i'm sure there were lots of people who behaved this way in history but there's not there's really not that there's not certainly not ones who were successful he's the archetypal figure for a reason yeah and uh you know a lot of people uh, if you ask them who greatest president in the united states history they would say lincoln this is something that gets brought up a lot now is that, well, you know, 
uh, he, he did all this lost cause stuff. You know, why didn't he could have just chosen to just, uh, you know, uh, drop the hammer on the South and just be, you know, and just uh, uh, smoke out all of the enemies, uh, declare will kill everyone, all every, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people said they should have killed every a military officer, uh, all this kind of stuff. Well, is there like, uh, is that like, is the only reason to not do that because, because you're soft? Uh, you know, there, there's, you can look at places that have civil wars to where they did choose to do that. You can look at them hundreds of years later and you don't get something like the United States. It doesn't take that much longer afterwards. And people are like, Oh, well, we're just the United States again. Yeah. And of course, you can you can revisit it like we are now, and uh, retro you know retroactively go after their descendants. Okay, so we 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 kissed Caesar's ass about this. There there are if you if you read the commentaries, if you even the people who do hated he uh, who hate Caesar in the historical record, they'll admit that he was extremely merciful, unusually merciful to his enemies. Now, what they'll tell you is, well, this was just a strategy. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't do it because he was a good person. It was like a, this is a cynical, a cynical ploy to gain himself more power, which is kind of a funny criticism because even if they're it was right, true, right, right. So even if it's true, who cares? Yes, I, I don't. I don't care why. I don't care why he's doing it. You don't. It, it, this is a reverse of the same shit about his thing as a revolutionary. This is like this, this is one of these fucking mind. This enrages me. This is the same shit about Huey Long. Um, there's no yeah. one that ever did. No one's ever. This just burns me up. I'm gonna get fired here. Uh, this. Oh, well, he didn't do it for the right reason. This is just utter horseshit. Fuck that. Well, when you were reading history written by Caesar's enemies, by Long's enemies, by our enemies, like we're re- reading history, like they're going to cast any good thing that a person did as uh, it was secretly, it was secretly an evil plot because that's who they are. And uh, we'll compare them. So, who who's Caesar's primary enemy in the Civil War? It's uh, it's Pompey the Great. He 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 was extremely popular with the people until Caesar came along because he was a he was a, the Tom Brady of the Roman Republic. He just kept winning everywhere. What what was his strategy? How was Pompey the Great going to prosecute the Civil War? Uh, he was going to stop at nothing other than Caesar's death. Yeah, uh, there were a lot of offers of truces uh, of tre- you know, tre- treaties to end the war. Uh, who was the one generally offering those? Caesar, repeatedly, repeatedly, over and over again. Uh, this is one of the things I, I talked about before uh, somewhere else. But um, Caesar, you know, this whole time, this guy is one man taking on the Roman state. Yes, he did, but the entire time he's saying, let's call a truce. Disband your armies and I'll disband mine. Set it down. We'll, we'll end the war right, right now. Um, what's the reverse? What's the opposite of mercy? It's um, you leave you corner you corner someone like a rat. Caesar would have been dead if he had turned himself in. Uh, everyone knew it, and uh, so uh, Caesar starts this war as one man against the most powerful state in history, and he, he's got a couple legions. Um, he goes up against someone that's got all the power. It's got it's got the whole state. Got the Senate and everything, but his policy is uh, no way out. You, um, I'm going to take a, a powerful foe and give them one way to escape, and that's to win. That is pretty stupid. This is what you do when you go full Schmidtian. When you when you tell people 
There's no way out for you. There's there's death or there's victory. This is this is stupid. In the final battle of this, well, not the final battle, but the Pompey's final battle, he has seen, he has Caesar backed into the corner. It, 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 it's it's a do or die situation, and Pompey attacks, and he gets outgeneraled by Caesar. Uh, one thing Caesar has the loyalty of just like the the. Imagine if you were trying to if you were trying to have a civil war today, like between whatever political figures, and one side had like the all the national guard, and the other side had like I don't know a, a, a couple like a, a couple marine divisions or whatever, like the guy the the, the best divisions in the United States, right? Professional uh, soldiers. Right, and people who've been who've been fighting for for years, and uh, he he get he loses it all, and uh, he ends up very ignominiously having to flee to Egypt, almost like a morality play type situation. He goes there to to like to start try to organize another army against Caesar, and uh, his allies in Egypt betray him. They they assassinate him. They assassinate Pompey. They kill them. Caesar arrives not too much not too much longer. To, to looking for Pompey and uh, Ptolemy, the pharaoh of, of Egypt, uh, offers Caesar Pompey's head. He's like, "Here you go. I, I killed you. I killed your enemy for you. Aren't you extremely happy about this?" What was Caesar's reaction? This is the this is the highest crime possible, uh, and this this is sort of Caesar flipping back into uh, Roman general mode. So you know he's fighting for his life, fighting for his life, uh, tracking down his enemy. This, you have to imagine. Uh, so why did he do this? This is this is a kind of important thing. The main thing is that okay, so you're like this foreign ally, basically a puppet state of the Roman. You don't kill Romans. You don't kill you. Um, you might think that you are something you aren't if you uh, think it's up to you to uh, kill uh, uh, Roman generals and shit. There's that aspect. Before they were mortal enemies, they were friends. They were people who people who ruled Rome together, uh, related by marriage until Pom- Caesar's daughter died. Yeah, Pompey was married was married to, uh, to Caesar's daughter. There probably weren't a lot of people in the world that Caesar could relate to, but I imagine Pompey Magnus was one of the few left alive that he could. Yeah, pretty much every everybody. Uh, you can tell by all when when Caesar's, you know, when he's pleased to end the war, he just says, "Just talk to me, dude." He says, "Just let's just let's just talk, like just uh, uh, all we need." You know, uh, you know, like uh, you ever seen in these the war movies, uh, like uh, Last of the Mohicans, or before the battles and strip, they had some kind of ritualized way where the the, the English and the French general could talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, that's all he wanted. He was like, you know, look, like, like, like you're my friend. Like, if we just had a conversation, we could end all. We could end all this war. Just, uh, you know, talk to me like a homie. Uh, he he was friends, and, and he was deeply saddened by his death. Well, if you go by the historical record, they gave him the head, and he he got he was furious about it. Allegedly, when they hand over Pompey's like his ring, his seal, you know, his ring and the seal that. Uh, Caesar breaks down and cries. Yeah, and it's funny because if you listen, if if you re, you read like academic treatments of this, well, you know he was he was it was all a performance because really what Caesar was upset about was that he wanted to forgive Pompey Magnus. He wanted to like neuter him as a political figure, but you know force him to accepting his forgiveness. And this is this is absolutely true. It's kind of like it's a, it's a it's a really big own, as the kids would say online. You're, you're essentially you're you're still here and you're still involved in politics because I allowed it. 
It, it, that shit is hilarious. It really, sh- it, it really shows you the mind of these people. Um, uh, yeah, like, and uh, that's something maybe talk about. Just the the <laughs> mentality of this of this thing, where um, you know, you get to live, you get to keep everything, uh, but you like it's that it's 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 obviously because of Caesar that these people find this just so humiliating that that uh, it, it'd just been way better to to just kill them all. Uh, this is this is fucking hilarious. Well- that, that's the thing. You know, they might say that, but almost all of them did bend the knee initially. Like, uh, I'm sure you guys have all heard of Brutus and Cassius. These are two people who, who rose against Caesar, and they bent the Brutus especially. You know, everybody knows what Brutus is famous for, but beyond that, think about this. Brutus was serving with was serving Pompey in the Civil War, right? Uh, Brutus is, Brutus's mother was Caesar's, was Caesar's mistress. Like there was a pretty funny story during the trial for the Catiline conspiracy that uh, Caesar gets a note, and Cato stands up and points him. He's like, even now he's conspiring with the enemies of Rome, and Caesar hands a note to Cato. Cato opens the note and reads it, and it's a it's a love letter from from uh, Cato's sister, who's Brutus's mother. Well, uh, Cato actually uh, he screams out at that moment. He said, <laughs> "You're drunk, yeah." He said, "Take it back, you drunk," which is. Uh, <laughs> Just uh, you know, uh, it was a massive projection because Cato was was a was a drunk and Caesar didn't drink at all. Yeah, so Brutus fights with Pompey. Brutus's mother was Caesar's mistress, but you know, more importantly, Pompey fucking killed Brutus's father. His uh, Brutus's father actually sided with uh, the populares after I think it was after Sulla. Well, that, that's if uh, Caesar wasn't his father. That's that's all. Another fifth one, but but Pompey C- fucking it. I don't Caesar, mean he killed him on the battlefield. He fucking Caesar had, had a re- Caesar had a relationship with 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 Brutus's mother for years and years. I, I've seen people say that that could debunk that by saying that the the the, the, the dates didn't add up, but I don't know. If if that was true, it'd be even worse. But Pompey killed the the his uh, if not his biological father, the man who you know had the same name as him. Uh, he fucking killed. He he had, he murdered him. Had him practically assassinated, and he sides with him uh, with him against Caesar. Benzini is forgiven and given a place in the in you know Caesar's Rome, a, a political position of high authority. And 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 but of course this is the ultimate flaw of the philosophy of mercy, which is that like you said before, you can be betrayed, and that's what happens to Caesar a few times. Over his life and ultimately what ends his life. Yeah, I don't really think it matters that much for a couple of reasons. So the main the main reason why and so uh, I I worship Caesar blah 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 and uh, but uh, so uh, a lot of people get hung up on his assassination. I don't. The reason for that is that Caesar's Caesar by that time by the time Caesar died he had won too much. He 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 was tired of winning. He had basically he had lost the mandate of heaven. A politician is sort of a, a sum up of other people's interests. And once you lose that, you you've kind of lost the mandate of heaven. And you now you're just sort of running on running on yeah. 
uh, 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 what, what do you call a momentum? So what we're okay. So at this point, Caesar is is master of all of Rome. He's won every battle. Uh, he sort of sits in a chair, and people ask him, "What what should we do, Caesar?" And he just says it. And the only the only real things that he has for him in Rome are just sort of like, uh, like should it like should I be king? It's just sort of like it's just sort of trolling. Like the only the only politics there is in Rome is basically like, is Caesar going to name call himself a king or is he not? Um, he's just he's just won so much, and so Caesar decides like, okay, Caesar is is, is psychotically obsessed with with achievement. Uh, yeah, he, he you said before he was obsessed with Alexander. And he, he's going to, towards the end of his life, what was his plan right when he's killed? He was about to go have a, a big-ass war with Persia. Yes, and a stupid war that... that yeah. uh, mo- By the <laughs> way, that war, that exact kind of war repeatedly went poorly for Rome over the course of like the next few hundred years. Like, uh, there were a lot of, there were emperors who fucking died on the, died in Persia trying to, trying to crack that nut. So it's not, it's not to say that Caesar like would have done that. He's kind of. It's funny the Alexander comparison is good because although you know Alexander was extremely young, Alexander died at what thirty thirty something early thirties, and Caesar was like forty years old before he ever did anything that like that made him Caesar. Like he didn't he didn't start his military career until he was forty years old, but they both did die like at, the, at their absolute apogee. Like the, the, there's there there was probably nowhere to go but down for for either of them. So we'll never know. Caesar's failed war in Persia or Alexander becoming a tyrant. It's almost assured that he would have lost. But the more important thing was that the only, so these wars in Gaul and stuff, um, uh, they weren't just like an idea of like, I want to go conquer stuff. You know, the Gauls had, had sacked Rome before. Yeah, they were a legitimate threat to Rome. Yes, absolutely. They, they were, the, Caesar was just sort of an instrument of the state at that point. These this war was absolutely it would have been an instrument of Caesar's glory, and that um, and you know you can't well, turn off. Okay, the- no, I mean not entirely. Like Asia was the richest part of the or of the ancient world. So, like I mean, you, you, you're talking about, I guess we can relate to this. There were pretty high stakes, like money wise, if you if you could actually conquer the near east it wouldn't have come so th- th- whenever they this were no threat to rome though you're whenever this right comes answer. up between between him and others at this point it's just it, it's just on their force there's not a bunch of people that want this to happen people were fucking scared yeah. of the gauls this is just hey i'm gonna go do something badass you could his invasion of britain you can compare it with this like where he he went there and people even the people even the soldiers didn't really want to do it it was like like we we don't need this. You can see that his, he had almost no success there. Uh, I mean, he went and he ran away. Like, what would he have done? Like, established a, a city there or something? You know what I mean? Like, th- he went, uh, and that's all that really really mattered is uh, that yeah, he, he was putting his he was dropping his nuts on the cliffs of Dover. We've explained the con like the political, practical political considerations of mercy. He, he became immensely powerful dictator for life. It led to his death, and then his succession led to another huge civil war. So you could say that it wasn't necessarily the most effective strategy, blah, blah. But we, one thing we didn't touch about was, it was it's, general, it's genuinely a moral way to behave. You're downselling how... how- successful this well but we could talk about the morality sure uh, I, mean, I mean everybody we, we're talking about caesar everybody knows he's fucking caesar 
Yeah. And uh, well, you know, both guys died of their apogee. Uh, and, uh, you know, Caesar started out with nothing. Uh, I, I, absolutely. Cause this is the thing about, you know, Alexander's one of the most overrated figures in history because he essentially, daddy gave him the keys to the BMW from day one. And uh, if if you looked at look at the places that Alexander went, and the is that Persia was genuinely a threat, right? Oh but yeah. Once Persia was out of the way, like people jack off about how he got all the way, he went all the way to India. There was nothing, the the there was practically nobody between them that could that could remotely resist him. Uh, Caesar conquered Gaul. Uh, fighting off the Gauls and the Germans, uh, it, it some sometimes massively outnumbered. Uh, went, went to Britain, came back, defeated defeated the as you said the entire Roman Republic essentially. Uh, went to went to Egypt again, massively outnumbered. Conquered Egypt, uh, had sex with a, a Greek Minabadi. Oh yeah, the Minabadi. If you if if we're rating historical figures, I put him far above Alexander. But that's not the point. The point was ironically, was, he would be pissed if you would talk shit about Alexander. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Like I'd be pissed if I talk shit about Caesar. You could say Napoleon was greater than Caesar, and you, it might actually be true. Going by like uh, who had the harder task? But I I, I would I would hear no. that. No, Caesar is is the most complete figure that the West ever produced. Exactly. There you go. And so was this a moral way to behave? And I think it was. And I don't, I don't care why he did it. This, this is the thing. This is the, I know it's a cope when they say like, well, he really didn't mean it. He was just a, he was a demagogue. He was just this guy who just said things that were, that you liked and did things for you, but not because he really cared about you, but because it would get him what he wanted. Well, f- so fucking what? Yeah. You know, this is this is important. Uh, you know, this is um, you, you know, your morals are what you do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are who are who are real. Uh, you know, uh, hold, hold on, no, 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 no. Say that again. Your morals are what you do. Someone like Caesar would have completely understood that, and pretty much anyone in human history, at most times, would understand. That. It's only with this this weird Gnostic. Understanding yeah. of of humanity that we have in this particular historical moment right now would would that not make sense? Like you you do, like doing your duty, doing doing great things, the way you treat people that is your Mariah. That is who that is who you are. That is what matters. It's not it's not what's in your heart. We don't care about that. I only care about it as to as to how it relates to how you what you do in the in the world. Uh, you know, I talked about before uh, talking about. I worked with that guy who was a great guy. He was a great father to his kids. He was a a, 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 a real someone really great to work with. Just a, a really great human being. And if you asked him like what like uh, like what he uh, what's going on inside him, he's like, well, I wake up every morning and I and I want to do heroin. My job is not do heroin. Uh, you know, inside he he was tormented. But what he did was a very moral upstanding guy. Uh, you know, I don't know what, uh, because of Christopher Hitchens, um, uh, mother Teresa is complicated, but for the, for those of you who she's not, uh, from what she said that she was just tormented the whole time while she's doing all these things for the sick. This is, this is very common. What you, what's in like this, this like, well, well, he means well, that's what people say about like serial abusers and shit. (laughs) 
And that's a great, great applied to his enemies too. Like the you know, the people they love. Oh, I get. I. They say this constantly about them. About Cicero, man, fucking Cicero. I'm sorry. I know. I know this is kind of turning into a burn book situation when we talk about this little uh, chickpea bitch. But like, if you've ever listened to the the Cicero defenders about you know the the time that oh well, you know when he he had a, a kangaroo court and fucking murdered some Roman citizens without due process, which uh, Caesar opposed, by the way. Caesar was one of the few people who actually opposed it. Yeah, Caesar said, just just arrest him and we'll we'll see what's going on. Yeah, you can't take this back if you do it. And then they accused him of being involved and tried to like uh, go after him. But anyway, uh, they'll say, well, Caesar, uh, Cicero did that, and he did this, and all this stuff he did, because deep down inside, he... he Loved the republic. He wanted to. He wanted to protect it. That was in his in his soul. That's what he wanted. And I know he did these bad things, but he did it because he, he cared so much about the constitution of the republic. Yeah. You ever read? Um. You, you ever, there's these. Uh, you read about these women who like kill their children because they love them too much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Your your actions are, are what you should be judged by. Uh, this is how everyone. Well, everyone who's not codependent behaves uh you know you just sound like an abused abused woman if you you, you do this thing where it's like uh uh well it's, it's what you're it's in his heart uh, you know that cicero shit's fucking hilarious there's some comment about that um one of the things that you see about caesar's stuff um uh, it's not there is endless articles written where they just troll about the truth of the truth claims about Caesar and, um, you know, things where Caesar's just sort of obviously like advocating on his behalf where Caesar's like, I wasn't being treated fairly here. Uh, you know, it's not like a truth claim. They'll be like, is this really true? Um, flip over to Cicero and, uh, you know, the Catiline conspiracy, which is taken as fact. Fact, like, like if you if you take like a course at Yale or whatever on Roman history, they'll just teach it to you as fact. And at some point, they're like, "Oh yeah, well, what's the evidence for this?" Um, uh, Cicero just pulled it out of his back pocket and said, "Here's a, a confession letter I just found, written by the by the guy." This is a funny story, and we're not, we're not going to go into it, but I just want to bring it up because of like uh, things that have happened in recent history, where essentially. Someone who didn't have the juice to do this was accused by Cicero of plotting to overthrow Rome and conquer it. And uh, it was uh, even a lot of the people at the time like this is no there's no way this is this could possibly be true. But uh, it was treated like it was a, a huge threat. And, and coincidentally, the only way we could fix this is for, for me, Cicero, to be able to just uh, have dictatorial power and uh, we should kill the people I don't like. And uh, if if you if you if you say that's a bad idea, then you're probably you're probably trying to help them. So, uh, by the way, so you know this this man Catiline, who uh, definitely, if you read the uh, modern history, definitely was uh, going to overthrow the republic. Do you, uh, maybe this? Um, uh, so maybe if you listen to this, maybe you believe that. Well, do you know what his? Uh, uh, he had a, he had a sort of a policy that he was running on, uh, running for office on. Um, I don't know if this is uh, at all um, <laughs> connected, whatever. But uh, the policy he was running on was uh, t- Tabula Novae, which was uh, the universal cancellation of debts. 
particularly for the for the urban plebs. Yeah, yeah, he would. He was a demagogue because he wanted to cancel debts, and uh, it, we we haven't even mentioned this at all. But when when you when you're talking about Caesar, but you you kind of have to know it. Uh, one of the big reasons why they fucking hated Caesar is because Caesar wanted to do pretty modest land reform. That that was why they that's why they fucking hated him. Uh, Cicero, Perinthi's book again is really good about this. Like he 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 quotes Cicero some of Cicero's letters where he's whining about how like how these plans are going to take all my rent money from my slums that I've got on, on public lands is bullshit. Yeah, uh, but, but you know when you when history is written by people who love. Cicero and Cicero is like the ultimate bureaucrat ass kisser. I really can't stress enough how 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 horrible of a little worm he was. It's it's hilarious to see like modern uh, even conservatives simp for um, for these people. Um, even the Sulla when Sulla uh, took total power, like the first thing he did was like triple the size of bureaucracy. You have a uh, little elite overproduction thing going on there. I get Sola. He was a war hero. Cicero wasn't. Yeah. Uh, Cicero, you know, he There's was. There's no reason for anyone to simp for Cicero. That's like simping for like a fucking uh, Brooklyn MFA. But you know what? That's why they simp for him because they fucking see Cicero in themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, a, he was a weasel who could talk his way out of anything. And he did. Uh Time well, and time no. again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's, that's why, yeah, uh, you know, he was, uh, his final gift. That, that's, that's a great, here's a great transition. Okay, so the, the mercy thing didn't quite work out. Caesar gets stabbed to death by a bunch of people that he forgave and gave power to. They fucking put, took knives into the, into the Capitol building and stabbed him to death. And so you could, you could say, we can mark that in the con column for oh. the mercy yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, so, you know, at the beginning uh, where we transitioned to start with Caesar, uh, the, the basis of this episode was about the prescriptions. All prescriptions ended when, uh, at that time when Caesar sort of comes on the scene. Caesar's like, uh, you know, 16, 25. There's no more prescriptions. Okay, continue. I, this isn't necessarily too relevant, but I just, like, I just enjoy talking about it. So the people who kill him. Uh, like Brutus is, is the most famous. He had one of the most famous names. They're like walking out. They're like, "Hey, we we did it. We we've liberated you from the tyrant." And just everybody in the city's fu- almost everybody in the city's fucking furious with them. They have to go run away and hide because like at any moment a mob of people could could kill them. In fact, there was a there was a person who had just had the same name as someone who killed Caesar. And people saw him and said, "Hey, there he is. Go get that guy." And they literally ripped his body apart. That's how angry people were at, 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 the, at the people who murdered Caesar. And so Antony stepped in and there was a compromise, which is that the people who murdered Caesar wouldn't, wouldn't be killed and Caesar's, uh, Caesar's property wouldn't be confiscated. Caesar would get a, a, a public funeral and we, we're all going to move on from this, right? We're going to do what we, what, we, what we wanted to do before, which is just put this behind us. Yeah. And... Uh, well, if you, as I said last time, if you ever seen the Julius Caesar play by Shakespeare, there's that famous speech that Mark Antony gives, and uh, it hasn't survived in history, but his version is great. And uh, Antony whips up the mob like quite literally into a frenzy. He reads he reads Caesar's last will and testament, which, by the way, Caesar wills all his possessions to the to the public. And at that point, when he reads that, the the citizens just begin screaming. 
They they already they already loved they already loved Caesar. That cemented it. So what happens what happens from this is that you have an we have another civil war, essentially. There's Mark Anthony, Caesar's right-hand man, Caesar's adoptive son, Caesar's other like other general Lepidus. This isn't terribly important other than you need to know. They're going to they're gonna fight against Brutus Cassius. And even though he wasn't technically one of Caesar's murderers, uh, Cicero's number comes up because was Anthony Lepidus and Octavian decide. We know Caesar forgave all these people, and it didn't work out well for him. We need to, we're gonna we're we're gonna have a war against these guys. We should just round up everybody who's their friend in Rome and fucking kill them and take their stuff. Yes, and that's what they do. And Cicero gets his head chopped off. And Anthony's wife sticks his tongue with with like a hairpin, and uh, that that was the end of the great war. There was that was the one mess he couldn't talk his way out of. Yes, the uh, prescriptions last. Uh, they happened uh, in the beginning of our story. They happened up into eighty two BC. There is a forty year period where C- where Caesar is on the scene and he's very forgiving. And there's no more prescriptions. Caesar dies. This this uh, this Caesar dies. And guess what? First thing that happens when they uh, when he dies. Uh, prescriptions are back on the scene uh, by yeah. f- forty three BC, and they are publicly very popular. People want every son of a bitch that was involved in the assassination found and and fucking brutally killed. It should be said that Sulla's first prescription, and it wasn't a huge one, like I said, it was like 10 or 20 people, which is bad enough, but it, people weren't happy about that. Like that, that was like, whoa, you're going way too far. By by the time we reach this story, it's like we're, we are deep in the Schmidian territory. It is just uh, fucking kill everybody. Take and, and, and here's here's the the funny part about what happens after after Caesar. These people they're they're meaner than Caesar. They're they're bloodthirsty. Both parties are pretty bloodthirsty, and they're just not as competent. It's a total clown show. You replaced this person who was merciful and competent with a bunch of people who they're bloodthirsty as all hell. I think there's a moral in all this. You know, all these people that that decided that when they would be in charge that basically everyone in in this story that you see that decides when they're in charge they're going to be cruel to their enemies and they're going to all that matters is destroying them you know schmidt worked for a regime himself (laughs) this is how they were going to deal with their enemies and it came to them all these men in this story brutus could have had a different life you know all these people uh even i guess sulla is pretty much the only person that didn't get what's, what was coming to him everyone else you know you're making decisions when you decide to be cruel to your enemies when you have power you know, you want to talk about like what is the best strategy you know i'm i'm this amoral person and i'm willing to do anything julius caesar went pretty far with mercy yeah and what's the punchline is that the thing that the Cassus belly for them to kill him and to oppose him. And they still debate about this today. You know, Caesar's great nephew who inherit, you know, inherited his name, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, who's Octavian. Then he, he became the thing that they accused Caesar of wanting to be. He became a King. He was a, a much colder, much, much less like a, not a merciful man whatsoever. And, uh, the people who, who would tell you that Caesar was a villain for destroying the Republic, ask them what they think about Augustus. <laughs> Isn't it funny how the autistic, bloodthirsty, like, 
uber like he's one of the greatest administrators in history, right? We got it. We all have to admit that. Mm-hmm. But they they love him, but they hate Caesar, even though Augustus is exactly the thing that they were afraid of, right? Oh yeah, Augustus consolidated everything that Caesar had done, and that's what and that what's what we got another bloody like after Caesar dies, it's another bloody civil war. Uh, the Republic is done, and you're left with. What you were most afraid of, according to what you said, uh, a king in charge of what is now a, f- a functioning empire. Yep. Uh, escalation is real. There's more than one side of the story than this Carl Schmidt stuff. You create your enemies. Uh, these people that you would that you would uh, if, if they've if you have an enemy that, that that is that is big enough for you to decide like I need to destroy them, well, uh, you know, there's that dialectic energy or whatever. That's it's going to come back to you. It's not always the best decision to do that. If you do decide to wipe out your enemy, make sure you get every last bit of them. There is no end of history, and that's why Schmidt doesn't work in the long term, and that's why mercy does have a place, not just morally but politically. Making their way. The only way they know how